One, two, one, two. Microphone check. One, two, one, two. It's MC. Uh, no, let me, let me let me stop. No, not MC. No. Um, what's going on, party people? It's Herman Felton uh, here on the podcast. Four thoughts of our founders, uh, the Higher Education Leadership Foundation. Uh, Greg Dees is riding solo. Um, what up, Greg? How you doing, man? Not solo. He's riding next to your boy. Um How's everything going, man? Life is treating you kind? Yes, sir. Sweet. Um, Greg Dees is learning a lot about um, managing folks in the higher education space, and uh, one day we'll have a really good conversation, a fun conversation about his his journey in uh, leading at the next level. Um, but today we're going to talk about a couple of different things. Of course, as always, got a shout out. Um, the uh, other, the Rat Pack, the rest of the Rat Pack. Um, you know Greg, you know me. Uh, you should also know Melva, uh, Alfred Anthony Pinkard, and George C. French, who are not with us uh, in the physical, but always in spirit. Uh, if you're wondering why Greg and I are oftentimes on this piece, it's because we actually work at the same space, uh, and our teammates are. Uh, out presidenting and vice presidenting across the country um, and proximity uh, does not allow us to be together but we're here in spirit uh, I did get their permission though you should know that I, I have their permission to be um, on the airwaves I uh, want to talk to you about a couple things uh, health obviously uh, we are less than a month away of welcoming the Kappa cohort here to the beautiful campus of Wiley College super excited about welcoming the next 30 um, to 35 individuals uh, in this journey. Um, We're really excited about it. They're coming from uh, private HBCUs, public HBCUs, governmental space, um, those who are senior administrators uh, and mid-level administrators, just really excited about uh, the credentialing, um, credentialing or credentials rather, Uh, of uh, these individuals and their experience, uh, the vocation um, uh, that they are uh, fulfilling their purpose in, uh, and just looking forward to welcoming another cohort uh, to the family. Also excited to talk about securing uh, the next three locations, Lambda, Mu, and Nu, can't really tell you where they're going to be at, but we're really excited about having secured uh, spaces for uh, the next three, but those really don't matter because the greatest cap, maybe I shouldn't say that, uh, the Kappa cohort is getting ready to roll through and uh, we're going to take care of the Kappa cohort. Uh, really excited about that. Um, I want to also talk about something that's coming down the pipe. Um, those of you who have been following us have known for some time that we are finalizing a partnership that is just about done. Um, They have initials. Uh, There are four of them as well. They advocate for um, HBCUs. Uh, They've done it for a very long time. Um, And we're really excited about that. Just going through the legal work and uh, should be done with that any day now. I can tell you that there is something else that is on the horizon. with uh, with respects to the work that we're doing uh, here at Health, you know, we have uh, consciously decided that we wanted to really address the pipeline. 
and initially we thought about um, senior administrators and getting folks ready for that next step, um, hoping that leaders will rise to the top uh, and that we will find ourselves in a space where we have leaders who are assuming the position of presidents uh, and not just having presidents. Um, I think um, there is uh, value um, in uh, really uh, ascending, acquiring um, tools that make your um, toolbox replete with, um, you know, tools that allow you to address uh, the complex uh, organizations that we have. Oftentimes, some of them are um, replete with challenges. Sometimes they look like distressed assets. Sometimes they are um, not distressed assets. Sometimes they are public. Sometimes they are private. Uh, but all the time they need great leaders. Um, and we wanted um, to do our part and and making sure that the pipeline is there. We know that there's a looming um, crises, uh, small crises, uh, where the um, researchers and um, projectors have talked about the gap that the current baby boomers will leave. Um, well, I'm here to tell them, and I do know that um, society, uh, or rather uh, experience of the last 10 years of giving folks who didn't fit the traditional mode um, of, of, um, uh, of what a president looks like. Um, we know now that uh, all are capable of leading um, if they come to the space with a genuine desire to, to lead um, and to also uh, come there with the skill set that is necessary. Um, so we're moving into the space of not just addressing the top portion of the pipeline, but the entire pipeline. And so we have this new initiative um, entitled Emerge. Emerge uh, is our um, uh, response to our own criti critical analyses of uh, what health is. We're constantly in beta mode, uh, beta testing, um, and simultaneously going live. Uh, that's one way of describing uh, who we are here at health. You know, we're constantly in the lab figuring out how we can be um, more in line with the needs of our institutions and the folks who labor at them, as well as uh, projecting what things may look like in the future. And in our analyses, we determined that, yeah, we're addressing the pipeline, but just the pipeline at the top. And if we are to be more effective, uh, coupled with the amount of applications that we get from individuals who are not quite um, at the mid-level yet. Um, on average, every institute, we have about 60 applicants who are not quite uh, on the level of mid-level management or senior level. And so we noticed that there was a void we are running to that void and we are attempting to fill that void. We introduce Emerge. Emerge will be an institute held once a year for anyone. 
um, primarily targeted to those who are in the zero to five, zero to seven range um, years experience um, at their institutions. Those who would probably benefit from advisement, um, who would probably benefit from receiving um, mentorship and guidance. Um, we advise freshmen when they come in the door um, and we see um, advising those who are just starting their careers um, from a professional vocation perspective, um, synonymous with advising freshmen who come into the door. Um, and, you know, when you talk about empirical data from a from a pure talent perspective, um, I think the most benefit um, or significant benefit of a pipeline is that you really don't need to bring in superstars to prime the leadership pump or unclog the pipeline. You know, you can create your own stars up and down the line, beginning at the first level when people make the transition from managing themselves to managing others. Um, and by moving people upward only when they have mastered the assigned level increases their chances for success. The institution finds people who are vested in them. Um, and uh, it's a win-win for both the individual and the institution. Um, everyone wins and recruiting outside for key positions is greatly reduced. Um, as a leader in this space and a manager of uh, the human capital, where you find your greatest um, turnover um, is at that zero to 10 um, space. You know, people are at the very beginning stages jockeying for um, the best um, and brightest um, people are doing that constantly. So you're losing folks um, because they're going to quote unquote greener pastures. Um, and so why not invest on every level? Why not um, deal with the entire pipeline? And so we're doing that. And in June of 2020 will be our first uh, institute. Um, folks should be able to apply here pretty soon. Um, in the coming days. Um, so just, you know, be on the lookout for that. Uh, we'll uh, launch uh, possibly simultaneously uh, the announcement of our partnership as well as um, the next initiative uh, for Emerge. Nothing will change with Inspire with respects to um, the frequency. We will still do those in um, June and December of every year. Um, but we will do separately um, a overall convention that or institute that we think um, will be able to um, run maybe concurrently with the June Institute or maybe a week after. But greater um, in-depth, more details will follow here uh, soon. Um, and uh, we're really excited about that. Um, now it's time to get to business. Um, we talked last week at several conversations and um, in the introductory, we talked about uh, what was going on in the state of uh, Maryland with respects to um, the equity 
their desire to have um, equitable funding um, on par from the Maryland system uh, or in a way that did not harm the institutions. I want to talk uh, briefly just about um, where we are as a nation. Um, there's an article that was written in, back in October of 2018 entitled Unkept Promises State Cuts to Higher Education Threaten Ex Access and Equity. And one of the strong takeaways from this article uh, written by a guy by the name of Michael Mitchell. Um, he teamed up with Michael Leachman, Kathleen Masterson, and Samantha Waxman. It, one of the big takeaways was that uh, people needed to understand that the overall state funding for, for public two- and four-year colleges in the, the school year uh, ending in 2018 was more than $7 billion dollars below um, its 2008 level. Ten years ago, public and private two and four year college, I'm sorry, public two and four year colleges um, received almost $7 billion more than they did last year. So this is nothing new. Um, this is happening uh, across the board, uh, state cuts are impacting and, and because of the uh, gross inequity that HBCUs are, are currently and have always received, um, I think it's exacerbated um, even more um, with those particular cuts. Now, before we get into Maryland, um, I just also want to talk about in 2007, just want to highlight in 2007, and while it is not comparing apples to apples, I want you to see um, the type of funding that in 2007, the state of Alabama um, issued $532 million to Alabama, 228 to the University of Auburn or Auburn University, Southern Alabama um, received an appropriation of 120 million, whereas Alabama A&M and Alabama State received 44.3 and 42.5 million, respectively. Um, one could argue that the institutions uh, are not, um, you know, really scaled the same. True give you that but when you look at institutions that are similarly situated to Alabama A&M and Alabama State in 2007 those that were in similar uh, size uh, and function and scope Alabama A&M and Alabama State were funded at a level that was in comparison almost 25% lower than institutions of similar size and scope. That um, is a classic example of uh, the lack of equity and why institutions are fighting for equity. We know that um, the state of Mississippi found itself embroiled 
in a case which is known as the Jake Ayers Jr. at L and United States of America, the Ronnie Musgrove, who was the current governor at the time. And uh, back in 1975, I believe it was, the class action commenced in January of 75. And it went back and forth um, uh, through the courts and uh, moved all over the place. And the Cates eventually um, settlement discussion started in 1997 and the case returned to the district court in 1998. Um, and in 2001, um, there were issues uh, going on. Um, what eventually happened, um, this case was about um, a lack of funding. It was about uh, the um, gross um, inequities against um, the public HBCUs in the state of Mississippi. Let's talk about what happened and um, what eventually um, the agreement was about. The board agreed that the state legislator uh, would find special heirs funding in the amount of $500 million, 517 I believe it was, was the number. And uh, a variety of things happened. Their academic programs um, were developed, uh, implemented, strengthened, and reviewed um, so that uh, over a course of time, they would be online and duplicative programs were not introduced that essentially undercut uh, these institutions. Alcorn State got a master's in business, a master's in accounting, bachelor's in finance, a, a master's in finance at the Natchez um, location. They got a physician's assistance master's, a biotech, biotechnology master's, um, computer networking bachelor's, and an environmental science bachelor's degree. Jackson State got a PhD um, in urban planning, um, a master's in urban planning, a PhD in business, PhD in social work, um, bachelor's degrees in civil engineering, computer engineering, telecommunication engineering, um, and healthcare administrations. Uh, they also received uh, master's in communicative disorders and public health, um, and they were awarded the PhD in higher education and a PhD in public health. Um, they also were um, given the rights to produce uh, and create the School of Allied Health, a School of Public Health, and a School of Engineering. And Mississippi Valley uh, was awarded uh, history and um, a bachelor's in history, special education, computer science, bioinformatics, uh, uh, a master's degree in that uh, field, leadership administration, a master's degree, and a business uh, and MBA. Um, these are, uh, the things that, that occurred, um, to help enhance, uh, these institutions. 
um, funding came, uh, they were also allowed to enhance their nursing degrees um, at Alcorn, uh, teacher education, mathematics, computer science, Jackson State uh, enhanced their business and education, and Mississippi Valley uh, enhanced their biology and their chemistry, computer science, and mathematics. Um, the, the colleges were awarded an endowment, um, a publicly funded endowment in the amount of $70 million was to be created over a 14-year period and transferred to the Ayers Endowment Trust, or an equivalent amount to the board provision, and an additional of uh, $55 million to the board set forth in the agreement. The, the income of the investment endowment will be uh, allocated uh, at 28% at Alcorn State, 43% uh, to uh, Jackson State, and 28.3% uh, to M Mississippi Valley. Uh, and I think all of that is predicated on size. Um, they, in addition, uh, were given um, the uh, right to have, or not right, but they were awarded capital improvements. Um, they were given money for, at Alcorn State, the equipment for the MBA program, a new fine arts center, uh, pair and the renovation of Dumas Hall, uh, where their business program was, purchase of property to improve security and access to their Lorman campus and a biotechnology building, 10 million. Uh, Jackson State received $20 million for an engineering building and an Allstate building of $3.3 million, which is where I think their e-center uh, is now located. Mississippi Valley got $5 million for their library enhancement, $16.7 million for their science and technology building, landscape and drainage, $3 million, and repairs uh, and renovations of $1.9. Uh, the funding... Uh, equation was enhanced. Um, summer developmental programs came about. Uh, academic programs were um, enhanced. Um, and JSU was thought to be a comprehensive um, institution or made um, because of its uh, broad array of academic programs. Um, they agreed to recognize JSU as a comprehensive university, which is a big deal. Uh, Mississippi Valley or Mississippi Veterans Memorial Stadium and the university centers um, were um, afforded to the president of JSU uh, membership um, to this Memorial Stadium Commission, I'm sorry, was afforded to the president uh, at JSU uh, and the Stadium Commission, uh, commission was also um, really uh, given um, legislation, I'm sorry, the state legislator was expected to enact the legislation necessary to make the changes. Um, I know this sounds like a lot and probably boring, but it's context to understand um, why a 20 year plus lawsuit was really important. Um, and what this shows you is that uh, the folks who have labored before us knew um, that things were amiss, off-putting, and flat-out wrong, uh, and needed to be addressed. 
and they advocated for us, which means now uh, it is our turn to advocate for the next generations. And I think um, Maryland in their 12, 13 year fight and battle with um, Maryland's HBCUs in their fight um, shows that um, there's probably just as much work uh, that needs to be done there. But when you think about, when you go back and listen to the things that uh, were given, um, I don't know if given is the right word, but um, the things that were awarded um, to the Mississippi HBCUs um, speaks volumes in um, how grossly underfunded our institutions were uh, and the lack of consideration that is given. It is not just enough just to simply fund uh, these institutions. Uh, there's much more uh, that is required and, and what is required is equity uh, and equality. Um, now moving into the Maryland um, settlement, the attorney has said that, uh, well, first of all, the governor has said that he would settle the case for $200 million. Uh, and the attorney for um, the, um, the Coalition of Equity and Excellence in Maryland Higher Education uh, said that after mediation uh, of a 12-year period, um, said in July that the state should fund uh, those four institutions at 577 million, which um, is about 791 million in today's dollar value when you adjust um, inflation. And that letter noted that Mississippi settled its HBCU case involving three schools nearly 20 years ago for about 517 million. And so he's asking for 577 million. But there's no difference. I would imagine that and when I say no difference, I mean in terms of the argument used for um, the need for funding and equity. Um, I think when it all the dust settles, um, 200 million is not what they will settle for. Um, I don't know what um, what that number will look like maybe somewhere in the 400 uh, range. Hopefully that it's more than 500. Um, but at the end of the day, what we are finding um, is that uh, these protracted battles are, um, are worth the fight. And they're worth the fight because you're laying the predicate, the foundation for um, years to come, the next two or three generations, the next three or four generations, it is necessary. There are arguments about why um, there is no need uh, to have uh, anything other than um, the 200 million. The governor has, in some articles, been uh, antagonistic. Uh, almost unwilling to have reasonable um, uh, conversations, um, equitable um, offers. And at the end of the day, the state 
um, the students at these institutions, the leaders at these institutions and the folks who are with the um, Coalition for Equity are remaining steadfast and and advocating for what these colleges, institutions, universities are worth, not what someone else thinks they are worth, not the value that um, folks want to uh, place on these institutions. But um, when you look across the board, if you look at the state of Maryland and how or Commonwealth of Maryland or state or Commonwealth or state, um, how they're how they're funding the other um, schools in the system. Um, I think it doesn't take a rocket science to find um, the gross injustice in how programs are being duplicated, um, how the funding is not equitable. Um, and these things have happened over the years. We know that Alabama has done the right thing by also um, settling with their HBCUs. Um, and I, I suspect that uh, there will be more institutions, uh, states that will follow and, um, and start the fight for equity. Uh, many of them may not benefit from the fight that they launch uh, in their careers, um, but it, as we have seen with the Ayers case, um, what comes out of those um, fights are uh, resources that allow our institutions to be competitive. Imagine, just imagine that we are given uh, what we are owed. Imagine that happening and imagine what we're able to do um, with the, the meager resources that we have, uh, the meager resources that find um, their ways uh, on our campuses. Um, in 2015, uh, the Gallup poll um, did a um, study on the well-being of um, graduates of historically black colleges and um, really looked at graduates of other institutions. Um, and uh, this article was written in October of 2015, as I said. And, you know, I've, I've kind of felt funny about touting this article because, again, I've said that it is simply essentially um, really codifies the secret sauce or it not codifies, but it explains the part of the secret sauce that happens on our campuses. Imagine uh, being uh, underfunded if you're a state institution and uh, not having the type of resources that you'd like if you're a private. Um, Imagine doing that and still being responsible for creating the black middle class. Imagine having less and still being responsible for um, black HBCU grads uh, are stronger in financial uh, well-being and purpose. They, they conducted a study and they took graduates 
um, and asked a series of questions. These questions uh, came from the study included 520 black graduates of HBCUs and 1,758 black graduates of other colleges. And, and in the report, here's what they looked at. They wanted to know, um, how did you feel about purpose well-being? How did you feel about social well-being? How did you feel about financial well-being, um, community well-being, physical well-being, and thriving in all five elements of well-being? There were um, the response out of those individuals, 51% HBCU graduates said that they were doing well and happy with purpose as opposed to 43% non-HBCU. Socially, 54 HBCU, 48% non-HBCU. Financial well-being, 40% HBCU, 29% non-HBCU. Community well-being, 42% HBCU, 38% non-HBCU. Physical well-being, 33% HBCU, 28% non-HBCU. Thriving in all five elements of, HB, of well-being. There was a push there, seven and seven. I think that's seven out of 10. What you found um, that despite the challenges uh, that we have, declining enrollment numbers, so to speak, battling um, graduation rates, retention rates, resources, underfunding, this study revealed that black graduates of HBCUs are more likely than black graduates of other institutions to be thriving strong, consistent and progression, uh, progression and in a numbers of in a number of areas, uh, particularly in their financial and their pur purpose well-being. I'm not pitting uh, blacks against blacks. I'm merely making the point that imagine having appropriate levels of funding. If we're able to do what we're doing with the levels of funding that we're receiving now, imagine what we'd be able to do if the playing fields were somewhat level. Imagine the impact that we would have if folk saw the value in what we were doing. Imagine the impact that we'd have if we weren't continuously having to validate our existence. Implicit in these conversations is value. Implicit in uh, the, the notion that um, one should be able to ask the question, are HBCUs relevant? Um, and never have to, to pose the question about PWIs. Um, equity. 
and equality or the like thereof of both of them. I simply believe that if we are to find ourselves in a space where people will recognize and give credence to the work that we've done, then what will likely be present will also be a respect for the work and equity in funding. Absent those two things, we will find ourselves without the respect of the work that we do, despite the lack of funding and equity, will always be subjected to that question. But you and I know, uh, and those who have attended these institutions, there is a special secret sauce that permeates the campus of an HBCU. There are times when we find ourselves in harm's way because a lack of good leadership. But I would submit to you that we are no different than other institutions. There was an article that came out um, maybe a couple of months ago where they talked about the amount of HBCUs that were closed, and I mentioned this, um, I think the last session that we had, um, where they talked about um, the trouble that our institutions are in, and that 20 of them, or 15 of them, have closed in the last 20 years. You know, again, it really is about perspective and context how many of those other institutions have closed in the last 15 years? How many of those other institutions have been sanctioned? If it sounds like I am pro HBCU, I am. If it sounds like I am anti PWI, I am not. What you should glean from this conversation is that equity and equality should happen to all of our institutions if they are equipped or rather charged with educating our populace here in the United States. And the desire is for us to build the best workforce in the world. I think if you charge folks with that, in their state funded, I think you should equip them with the tools to do just that. But you should also recognize that those who um, do not have a bootstrap were not given a bootstrap or a pair of boots. Uh, I think there should be some some acknowledgement of the fact that they were bootless, uh, and in spite of that. Um, found cowhide, uh, took a cobbler, created a pair of boots, put some bootstraps on them and pulled them up and yank on them every year when we graduate families. We don't graduate students, we graduate families. And we do so because I don't think we're 
any different from other institutions. But what is happening with our institutions oftentimes is that we're generating um, education, hope, and opportunities to folks who have not had a member of their family walk in the ivory tower and walk out of the ivory tower to greed. We change lives. Um, and that has to mean something. And I'm happy that institutions have the agency or coalitions like the one in Maryland uh, and the ones down in Mississippi and Alabama have the agency and the unmitigated resolve um, to stand up and ask for what is owed uh, and more than ask for what is owed, um, go after it. That concludes this podcast. Um, looking forward to the next time that we podcast and hoping that uh, you are operating in your vision, in your mission, uh, in the vocation that your God impregnated you um, with. And I hope that it brings you fulfillment and you find that uh, by looking at those that you serve on a daily basis. Wishing you peace, love, and um, and happiness. Until the next time, deuces.